This afternoon, I proclaim to you the Word of God as we confess that in Lord's Day 10 of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 10, and we'll just deal with part of the first question and answer. We'll read that first question and answer together, first of all. Lord's Day 10, question and answer 27. And there the church has confessed the Word of God as follows. What do you understand by the providence of God? God's providence is His almighty and ever-present power, whereby... As with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. And we just deal with the first part of that answer. God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures. Just that part. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, boys and girls who belong to him. And this afternoon, I'd like to focus then on that first part of answer 27. You could call that, that second part of uh, answer 27 the house of God's providence. That's where everything practical takes place, where God's providence practically impacts our lives. Food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty come to us not by chance, but by God's fatherly hand. But then the first part of this answer is the foundation Underneath that, I want to con- uh, concentrate on that foundation this afternoon. The foundation of a house is less conspicuous than the house itself, but it's very important what that house is built on. So also the foundation of God's providence. And in that first part of answer 27, then we confess that God's providence means that he, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures. He still upholds them. In other words, he ensures that the earth and life on this earth can continue yet. He does that. He ensures that this planet remains livable for us. Scientists, of course, they have a a naturalistic explanation for why life on earth can exist. They say that the distance from the sun and the rotation of the earth and the existence of water and atmosphere and many exact conditions make life here possible and allow it to exist. But as you know, if you, you're up on the news, they worry, they worry constantly about all those conditions being affected by meteorites or by human activity causing climate change all kinds of things people worry about that will life be able to continue here in fact a lot of people have become so concerned about climate change today that they speak of a climate emergency if we don't do something now there'll be no future for life on this earth man has to save life here Now, as God's people, we we believe that we're called to be good stewards of this creation, not to abuse it, destroy it. But ultimately, we also believe that the future of life on earth doesn't depend on mankind and all his wisdom and, and everything calculations, but it's our God and Father in Christ who upholds, still upholds everything as by his hand. And everything continues to exist and life can continue here 
only because of God's long-suffering, his patience. And I want to read about that in 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3. Let's turn together to 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll read that chapter. 2 Peter 3. And there the apostle writes the following. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, Look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. And also in all his epistles, Speaking in them of these things in which there are some things hard to understand which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own way, from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. And we'll kind of focus also on verse 9 then. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Congregation, with that in mind, with uh, that first part of chapter of uh, Lord's Day 10, and verse 9 of 2 Peter 3 in mind, I preached to you this afternoon God's patience, his long-suffering. And we'll pay attention to two things in connection with his patience. First, its basis, and secondly, the reason for that patience. First of all, then, the basis of God's patience. 
Congregation, think about this. How many times on average do we sin per day? A lot of times if you think about it. But let's just say you commit five outward sins a day. And then there are the sins of thought and motive, looking lustfully, envious thoughts, selfish motives or so, maybe another 15. You know, this is pretty conservative, but let's say another 15. And that would make 20 sins a day. And that's, that's mighty conservative. Multiply that by seven and a half billion people on earth today, and that'll bring you to one and a half trillion sins per day on earth. One and a half trillion sins a day. And that's the sin which that's in the sin God in his holiness has to look on every day. He has to put up with that every day. That's, well, imagine that you had a big beautiful garden that was overrun by all kinds of nasty bugs in which they, they all ate the lovely flowers and the good vegetables you were growing there and they came back every time you tried to get rid of them. What would you do? I think you'd say, well, that, what's the use of growing anything under these circumstances? Just plow the thing under Forget about a garden. Well, think about the earth, all these sins taking place over it every day. I think if I were God, I would, I would just say, well, get rid of the thing. Forget it. Wipe all the people off the face of the earth. Maybe even start over with it all. Make it, make it beautiful again as it was in the beginning. God doesn't do that, though. He doesn't. He lets the world and everything and everybody in it continue to exist He upholds it all as by his fatherly hand. And that's his patience, his long suffering. Upholding everything while he has, in the words of Psalm 7, verse 11, indignation every day because of the wickedness that happens here on earth, the sins. What people do on this earth and with this earth. So that that older word, used in the New King James, long-suffering, fits well here. He upholds it all, even though every day he, in his perfect holiness, is offended and provoked and antagonized by the sins and the violence committed here on earth. And he has the right to destroy it all. He would be just if he destroyed it all with everyone in it, in his righteous wrath. He doesn't do it, though. He waits, he delays, he holds in his wrath. And see, congregation, that patience, that long-suffering of God is the reason why this world is still revolving around the sun, rotates on its axis, why everything is still in place so that life can exist here. God's patience is the basis of his government of everything that happens on earth and in our lives today. It's the foundation which is so easily overlooked. If you don't pay attention to this foundation, you're only going to see the house. You see how God governs and guides all things such as leaf and blade, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness and so on. You only see how God governs and guides everything in your life and in the world. And if you only pay attention to that without seeing the basis, you end up with a lot of questions. Why does God allow this evil to happen to me? Why does he allow that wickedness to continue? Why does he bring that disaster on those people? Or you just presume that everything is, continues on its own, like clockwork, and God ignores it all. 
and you take the earth and your life on it for granted then and you don't see God's patience and long-suffering and you don't give him glory for that. However, if you have eye for that patience of God, that long-suffering, you will see everything differently. Then, considering God's providence doesn't begin with your thoughts and questions about what God, what in the world God is doing in my life or on this earth. No, then thinking about God's providence begins with deep amazement at his patience that he allows it all to exist, to continue to exist, that he allows me to continue to walk here and live here and breathe here. We read about an example of God's patience in 2 Peter 3 where it mentions the great flood at the time of Noah. After God's creation of the world, it took a lot of years before it came to the flood. Not exactly sure how many, but it took many years. And during that time, the earth became awash with sin and violence. It says, Genesis 6 verse 5, that at, the same, at, the, at that time, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And God told Noah to build an ark because he was going to send a flood and wipe the world clean. I'm sick of this. He was going to make an end of all flesh and cleanse the earth of all the evil on it. And it took Noah 120 years to build the ark before the flood came. And people knew about that coming judgment because of the ark and Noah's warnings. Noah prophesied. But God was patient for 120 years. Nobody can say that God acted hastily or impulsively when that flood came over the earth and, and destroyed all life on earth. Did things become a lot better after the flood? I'm afraid not. It didn't take long and basically all mankind fell away from God again. You can think of the Tower of Babel and so on. Thousands of years have passed and wars and crimes and sins still continue and God could have brought other floods to cleanse the world again and again, but he didn't. He didn't do it. After the great flood in Noah's days, he promised at the end of Genesis 8 that he would never again curse the ground because of man's wickedness, but that while the earth remains... He said, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. In spite of what everyone says about climate emergency, they will not cease. And then he, he even set the rainbow in the sky and the clouds as a sign of that promise. The rain, rainbow after the rain. In other words, God promised in the Old Testament to uphold the earth and life on it. And the reason he did that throughout the Old Testament, we could say, was he was going to fulfill his promise right after the fall that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. In other words, God upheld all creation in the Old Testament so at the, that at the right time, his son could come into this world and overcome Satan's sin and death for all those whom the Father had given him. So God was patient for the sake of Jesus Christ. A cross had to be raised on Golgotha where God's wrath against sin would be poured out on Jesus. The flood of God's wrath. And he took the guilt of all his own on himself. God wasn't patient with him. Even though he had never committed a single sin, never offended God's holiness in the least, 
God poured his full wrath against sin on Jesus Christ there. It was literally hell on earth for those three hours on Golgotha. And Jesus bore it all to the end for his own. And after Jesus rose from the dead, the disciples at first figured, okay, now God's going to put, out, put an end to everything the way it is here. The kingdom will come now and it'll all be finished. Not the case. No, Jesus had told them beforehand, Matthew 24, many things still have to take place before the end of time. Many people will continue to be led astray by the promises of deliverance from the brokenness of this world by other Christ's saviors. Violence will continue, and there will be wars and rumors of wars. And many disasters will take place yet, famines and earthquakes and so on. And finally, the gospel will first be proclaimed to all nations, and then the end will come, he says. Then the end will come, but in the meantime, as sin and violence continue on earth, God allows everything to continue, and he's patient, long-suffering. He holds in the final outpouring of his wrath. And brothers and sisters, boys and girls, too, in faith, then, we experience that patience of God every day. Every morning you get up and you look out and see the beautiful sky and, and the beautiful colors of the fall at this time. We experience God's Patience, long-suffering. It needs to be experienced so that you say, Oh God, what a miracle that I still exist, that I'm here on earth, and that everything around me still exists. What a wonder that you haven't let your wrath fall on me and on this world, even though I and other people provoke and antagonize you so often yet with our sins. Think about it. How often don't we ignore his word to do what we desire ourselves? How often don't we abuse the gifts and the time he gives? God has every right to wipe us off the face of the earth because of the th those things, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't do it, no. He continues to take care of me, provide for me in spite of my sins and shortcomings. He has till now been patient and long-suffering for me. And if... if if I contemplate that, shouldn't that make me the most thankful and patient person myself, too? Patient with other people, too? How often aren't we called to be patient in the Bible? Think of Psalm 37, which we sang earlier on, where the Spirit says, verse 7, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Patience. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. It will be bad for him in the end. We come to the second part of the sermon. The reason for that patience of God. So brothers and sisters, boys and girls, God gave the rainbow after the rain as a sign of his patience, his long-suffering. He won't let the seasons or the growing and the harvesting of food cease on this earth. He won't let that happen until the last day that he has decided, until he sends Christ to this earth once again. But now, not in humility, but as judge of the living and the dead. 
to cleanse the world of all sin. And it's been thousands of years already, and his patience still endures. Why? Well, we could see some reasons why he still is patient. I can think of at least three reasons. If you take the Bible as a whole. In the first place, God not only patiently upholds the world so it continues to exist, but he provides for the earth in such a way that life here can continue, continues to supply this world and the people on it with many, many gifts and benefits, provides many things that make people able to live good and happy lives, sunshine, rain, prosperity too, so many things to good and evil people, We don't understand his reasons for providing more of those good things in one place than in another, maybe. Some people suffer famine in another place, they they have too much. We don't understand the reasons for that, but all those benefits and gifts are meant to lift the hearts of people up to him in gratitude as the giver of good. Think of what the Apostle Paul proclaimed on the Areopagus in Athens, Acts 17, 26 to 28. Paul preached there, and he he says there, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. See, all those gifts which God continues to bestow on the earth here, on mankind day after day, and the life that he gives mean that nobody in this world has an excuse in the end to say, well, God, I I didn't know you, I couldn't know you. No one has an excuse for not knowing God. The prophet Isaiah says somewhere that the ox knows its owner who feeds him, and the donkey knows its master's feeding trough. He knows where his food comes from. But people don't know God who feeds and sustains them. How is that possible? The animals know, and people don't realize it. Who feeds them? And sustains them. And you see then, through all his good gifts, God wants people to think about, to consider where it all comes from. How it comes about. To ask themselves, is there then an almighty God who takes care of this world and who sustains life, also my life? So we're all rendered inexcusable before God by his gifts to us, also you and I, the whole world, but also you and I today here. All those good gifts of God will testify against me if I don't acknowledge him and thank him for them. They'll testify against me in the end. He'll say in the end, didn't I give you food every day again? You had your lunch and your drink, and so many good things to enjoy, sunshine, rain, 
Why have you not acknowledged me as God? Why have you not thanked me every day, loved me, served me, because I'm God? See, because of God's gifts, his good gifts, nobody is excusable. He patiently lets the sun shine and the rain fall and the seasons change. And he does that so that people will acknowledge him, come to to seek him and acknowledge him as God of all. And that brings me to the second reason for God's patience. Like Jesus said in that passage from Matthew 24, which we referred to before, wars and famines and earthquakes and other disasters continue to take place over all the earth. Those things happen. And God is patient, but he continues to allow those things to happen now. Now here, now there, but they happen. And they are the beginnings of God's expressions of wrath against the sins and the violence of mankind on earth. But they're not the full outpouring of his wrath, but just small expressions to wake people up to the fact that it is he who has made us. It is he who upholds all creation. You know, those things are like when somebody slams on a table with his fist, and then everybody looks up and pays attention suddenly in surprise. That's why God allows those things to happen here and there and throughout the world, and why we read them in the paper here too if they don't happen to us. Disasters and shocking events and wars. It's so that people look up and pay attention and ask themselves, why has that happened? What caused this to happen? And many try to explain, but ultimately, it's the sin of mankind in the face of God which is the cause. If they would only consider that, how much we spit in the face of God with our sins. Of course, you can't draw a direct line from a disaster to certain sins of these people or those people or yourself, if there's an earthquake which takes thousands of lives, or a war in which many innocent people also perish, or if there's a disease and you end up with that too, you can't say, well, that happened because of this wickedness of, or that sin or so. But those terrible things take place because of the general sinfulness of all mankind, including ours, sins and guilt. Even though at this time we live in quite a bit of stability and peace, the thing is, do those things cause people also us to flee from the coming wrath? To seek our refuge in Jesus Christ before he comes with the final judgment. See, we live in a time, as it says in chapter 16 of the book of Revelation, when the bowls of God's wrath are being poured out over the earth. And it says a number of times in that chapter, you can read it at home, chapter 16 of the book of Revelation. It says a number of times in that chapter, and they, mankind, did not repent of their sins and give God glory. They did not repent and give God glory. Turn to God. The one because he said that earthquake resulted from layers of the earth being pushed one against another and that's it. 
and the other because she believed that that plague came about because of climate change. And the third person just raises his fist to God and says, how can there be a good God if this happens here on earth? A good God who's over everything. How could he allow violence and suffering? And a fourth person just ignores the groaning of all creation and throws himself into finding all the pleasures of life he can while he can. But they do not repent. What about us? What about you? Do we see the hand of God in those disasters and wars and plagues we hear about in the news every time there's something like that in the news? And does that news shake us awake and make us think about the time when God's full wrath will come? And does that cause us to repent? We come to the third reason that God in his long-suffering lets the earth and life on it continue. And that reason encompasses a serious call for the church of Christ. God patiently continues to uphold creation and life so that as Jesus stated in Matthew 24, the gospel may go out and be proclaimed to all nations and tribes and tongues. And the question is then, how does the church of Christ make use of that time then that that God's patient allows? Because God wants the gospel of deliverance from the wrath to come in Jesus Christ. He wants that, that gospel of deliverance to go out to all people, all nations. And that's why he still upholds the world today. You can say that the world still exists because the church isn't finished yet. The church is under construction and it's not finished yet. And that's why the world continues to exist today. And the church of Christ today has to think about that. Do we realize why the world keeps turning? It's because God wants, also wants the gospel to be carried farther into the world. To people who don't know it, haven't heard it. And what does that mean for you and me practically? Is my daily life only about me, about me having a happy life and going to heaven afterwards? Is that what my life is about? In my children's lives? Is that why God is so patient with the world and with my life? No, brothers and sisters. It's so that the name of Jesus may continue to go out abroad over the face of this earth. Does that play a role in your life and in the raising of your children? That you think of it this way. God patiently upholds heaven and earth and all creatures as with his mighty hand, we confess in Lord's Day 10. And that upholding then includes his giving of gifts as well as judgments, as well as progress of the gospel. And that all has a purpose, hey? We read about that in 2 Peter 3 verse 9. The Lord is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that's the ultimate reason. That's the goal. That's why the world keeps turning now yet, why we're still here and why there are still good things happening as well as disasters and tragedies in various places. That's why God still waits patiently before he brings about the final judgment and the final outpouring of his wrath. He gives everyone, everywhere, time to repent. You and me, time to repent and to grow in faith 
and produce fruits of faith in our lives yet. How do you see that? Long ago, I used to drive a school bus. And sometimes when I came to a pickup spot, I waited for a few minutes. Because I saw some students running toward the stop trying to catch the bus yet. They were a bit late. They came running. But if those students, when they saw, looking at that bus, slowed down and fooled around or sat in the ditch, while I was waiting there, I figured I might as well get going because others would be waiting down the road. And then their parents, the parents of those students that fooled around would have to bring them to school and they'd be late. God's patience is something like that too. He sees us approaching in our life's path, our manner of life. And he waits with his judgment yet, which either comes when we leave this life or when Jesus Christ returns in glory. He gives us time yet. He's got his foot on the brake yet. He's long-suffering with you and me. Why? So that we hurry up. So that we make haste to be in time for his coming with judgment. That we repent while we still have time. And let me make that practical. Surely you know of one thing in your life that is not right before God at this moment. Surely you know one, one thing at least, right? One sinful thing. Well, repentance, true repentance means that you confess that one sin before God and that you ask for the washing away of that sin with the blood of Christ and that you earnestly seek the strength of the Holy Spirit to break with that sin, to fight against it, to end it in your life for good. That's how repentance begins that you bring that one sin you know about that's on your conscience that you bring it to Jesus and what happens then is that you bring another sin to him then too because you see more and then another and you come to need Jesus more and more you go to him all the time and you need him more and more and God is long-suffering over the world and over your life yet so that all, including you, have the opportunity to repent like that. Bring your sins to Jesus. So, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, to hasten while God's foot is still on the brake. Hurry up. Don't misuse God's patience like the students who fooled around while the bus was there. Don't think like those Peter, those people we read about in, in 2 Peter 3. Ah, there's lots of time yet. Things are just going on. I've, I've heard a lot of times yet that God's final judgment is coming, but everything just seems to continue as always. The church has preached about the return of Christ as judged for thousands of years already. It'll take time yet, or maybe it won't ever come and talk of God's coming wrath and his judgments, that's just a big exaggeration to scare you. Thinking like that, congregation is misusing God's patience, his long-suffering. And then you're gathering up God's wrath for yourself, against yourself. And every day you held fast to your sins, 
in spite of knowing him, knowing that he wants you to get rid of those sins, will testify against you. And don't forget, if students miss the bus, they could most likely get a ride with a parent yet and arrive at school late. But if the bus of God's patience departs, then there's no possibility that you can arrive late yet. The door will be shut. And you can knock on that door like those five foolish maidens in Jesus' parable about the ten maidens in Matthew 25. Their lights went on and their lights went off and later on they went to the door but it was locked. And then the Lord Jesus will say to you too, sorry, I don't know you. And the Lord Jesus at the end of that parable says therefore, watch for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So use the time. Use the time of God's patience to, to prepare for His coming in glory. Amen.